The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Shh. It's uh it's sitting on the desk. <laughs> Look at it. Officially you're now you're now allowed to talk about it. Talk, the, about, talk about what? <laughs> this thing here. So the X Pro three has landed. That's the new silent shutter. <laughs> That's all I'm allowed to say. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Who'd have guessed there was a new camera come in? You'd never have known. You would never have known. Uh, yeah. So come on. What do you think? It's nice. Yeah. Yeah, I really like it. It's unusual for you to have one that's got the, the, the silver mm, top. Isn't well, it? yeah. You, so you're swapping that one in for a black one. There, you like co- your cameras to be nice and. I like black. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of reasons why I have that particular this is titanium isn't this it? is well they're all titanium but this is um this is i'm not sure what this is called this is i, I call it champagne gold but i got, oh, I got it's told not champagne off. gold i got though, told off calling it that did you who told you off um somebody somebody from fujifilm said it's not champagne gold it's something else and then i couldn't remember what it i know called. you can't say but i bet there was a law it's a very naughty boy <laughs> but she told you off um so yeah so the one i have here is 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 the um this beautiful uh looks like a contacts do you remember the contacts cameras? That colour, yeah, yeah, yeah. contacts. Yeah, um, and it's very it smart looking. It's amazing. I, honestly, I have to say, uh, the reason why I have this one is because we used the black one for the um, the film we made, yeah. and um, the sample and everything that I. We, there's only a couple of samples in the country, and so they, the the black one needs to be used for something else. So I'm, I've got this one again, which obviously will go to Fujifilm once they recall it. In, oh, you've in got a to give it back. Oh, yeah, yeah, because no. because it's only a prototype. Oh right, okay. and also um, I have to buy one just like every. every everybody else um so yeah i mean you will everybody will have known anybody who's interested in the x pro range will have seen the x pro 3 by now um this is what i'll say about it warning warning it is an amazing camera if you're an x pro 2 user it is like uh getting off a a rubber ring and getting into a massive double decker boat i just wondered where you were going with that that's a really bad analogy isn't it um so it's it is incredible like the the performance of the x pro 3 it in my mind is better than the xt3 is it yeah um there's the new firmware sorry the new film simulation which is lovely the classic neck i don't know why they called it that but that's what it's called and then of course you have this thing on the back this the flip screen well i want to come back to that Mm. and i I think during today's episode we're going to come back to this camera a few times the fuji cast because that that's the one thing that people if anybody's about anything to do with this horrible expression sorry about this camera then that 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 has been it hasn't it yeah that back screen is no longer there. Uh, no, the LCD is no longer there. The LCD is not there. No. It's a hidden, hidden thing. Does it work for you that way? In fact, no. <laughs> Look at this. this is the picture I took when I was pretending to press the shutter button because oh, the no. LCD wasn't down. I didn't have a clue what I was taking. Yeah, and it was you. Out of okay. focus. It's <laughs> <laughs> not out of focus. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Anyway, welcome to the show, episode number th- 37. Yes, undoubtedly today we're going to be talking about the X Pro 3 because it is now out. Hello. So, uh, as always, thank you to our friends at Simpler Straps, S I M P L R dot US, for letting us give away a simpler camera strap to our favourite email questions of the week. Um, so we've got that. Also, we've got a, an interview with Chris Wardell today. Now, we met Chris actually at the Brighton um, the Brighton uh, Listener Meetup. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, going back about three years now, it seems, isn't it? Mm. And uh, Chris uh, has uh, toured the the UK, making pictures of peers. Um, what turned out, I think, as initially as a as a, a personal project, turned into a book. Hmm. So uh, we're going to be talking uh, to just, Chris. Just to clarify, this is not Piers Morgan. This is Piers at Beaches. <laughs> yeah, no, you can make a hundred and fifty page book out of Piers Morgan, <laughs> could you? Anyway, so Chris uh, will be on the show, and also your questions, which are the lifeblood of the show, uh, that you have sent into click at fujicast.co.uk. Right, as always. I'm offering the uh, the first question over to you. You go first. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Well, that's thrown me. <laughs> Where should we start? All right, this one. Um, James Souls. I see fo- uh, photographers who promise 600, 700, even 1,000, even 8 billion photo packages on their wedding adverts. To me, it seems bonkers. His words, not mine. As they don't even know how many photo-worthy moments they'll be during that particular wedding until they're actually there. I agree with you on that one, James. 
I never promise a set, a set number of photos to my wedding clients, no matter how much they push. Um, maybe this has lost me bookings, as people are drawn to these high photo number packages and also the promise of two or, two or three photographers, um, which he, he suggests is completely pointless in a wedding of 60, 70 or 80 guests. Do either of you gents promise a set number of photos? If not, then how do you handle questions in regards to how many photos you will give your client if they ask? I tell them that my running average is about 4.30 and that's made up of people receiving less than the number and some receiving more. I don't want to appear vague, but I, I also don't want to promise and then under-deliver as I value integrity and honesty in what you do. Well, that's a, that's a, that's an integrity in itself, James. Um, yeah, I'd, same as James, really. I, I offer. I always say, look, about 350 is the minimum. Sometimes you get more. Very rarely less, and they are my actual words. I don't. I don't really offer any any kind of. If they ask, then I'll tell them somewhere between three and five hundred is, yeah. is probably what you'll get. But I don't really. I don't put it on my website or anything. I, I think that's a bit a bit silly to be honest with you. If you have it on your website, because that's you just kind tying of tying yourself. Yeah, down. tying yourself down. Yeah. there's going to be for us. We think that's reasonable, right? But for yeah. people who were film photographers back yeah. in the day, they're probably you know think falling off their chair right now thinking three to five hundred yeah yeah oh my god you know um i remember jeff askoff um talking about it at one of his um watford do's mm. where he had that question from somebody who questioned that there are other photographers that now provide more and he came out apparently with a shoebox of 150 pictures yeah poured, on poured it on the coffee table yeah said, is that enough yeah yeah. yeah, 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 quite right. And, and you know, I, it's hard because it's it's a marketplace and it's economics and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. I feel like using using the amount of pictures you're you're going to give as a commodity and your package price is is, is a little bit lowball. Um, you know, saying I'm I'm going to give you 500 pictures, yeah. Neil Neil might only give you 300. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, and you know, ultimately, the people should be pick. It's be- surely it's better to have 300 amazing pictures from Neil than 500 rubbish ones from me. <laughs> well you know what i mean though right <laughs> i do <laughs> you know so the number is irrelevant that's yeah. the point i'm making i met i met somebody so talking of stuff that people offer within packages um and this is a commercial chat and it could be applicable to other genres as well um but i met a photographer recently and uh, he said neil 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 you know what you're doing wrong it's all right okay i'm ready throw me this line he said you know you want to be adding more value in. Mm. I said, okay, all right. What, what do you mean by that? Well, he said, I take him out for dinner. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's his package. That he, he, you know, he charges X amount of money and uh, they become more of his friends and, and he, takes them out, he takes them out to a dinner and sits down and buys them a four-course meal. What the? I mean, really? This, 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 presume, this is intriguing me, really, because presumably, is this before they've booked... Or is this oh, no, part this is of after. the... After well, the wedding. I hope so. Otherwise, it's really throwing so, money away. And is it be- before the wedding or after the wedding? That no, this will thing. be before the wedding. It's it's that sort of get to know your clients before the big day. So on the day, they say, oh, Fred, oh, we love Fred. Yeah. He's my best friend, Fred. He bought me a sit-down steak meal. Hmm. I'd never heard this before. I don't think that's added value, though. Is it not? No, because added, like when it comes to... Uh, I mean, that's just being nice, and yeah. and I'll, I'll be if somebody came to my studio, if a client of mine came to my studio, you'd take them out for a steak dinner, wouldn't you? I, no, well, actually, if they <laughs> if they were there at like I don't know, let's just say it was seven p.m. at night, and and you know, I I really got on with them or whatever, I yeah. might say, you know, do you want to go for a bite to eat or something and chat more? You know, that 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 to me, um, that's a gimmick. Uh, it's yeah. not adding value. No. Adding value is, you know, adding more hours or adding an album or, uh, you know, and not putting your pricing up to a, you, people often say this thing about adding value. I read something the other day about, um, on, uh, on a Facebook group. Oh yeah. I've, uh, in order to get more bookings this year, I've, um, uh, I'm giving them a, a, um, an album and free album yeah. uh, but the album cost me a hundred pounds so I but I've put my prices up by a hundred pounds right. so I'm you know I'm adding value and I'm like well you're not adding value are you you're actually your value is neutral your net value is neutral because you've increased the price yeah. so what they're getting 
is more, yeah. but what they're spending is also more. So the value, the net value, but is, you, it's the neutral. Same. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the neutral. Absolutely. So there's, this thing about adding value is is a, a misnomer. Mm. I feel it's a valid thing. It's a good. I mean, we're in a we're in a we're in a buyer's market. You know, yeah, they're they're the ones looking for the value for yeah. sure. But you know, much like um, so oh, be, I'm going to shut up now because you I'm won't be putting it into your package. So <laughs> I, will, I will be taking you for, for a sit-down meal. At hours, I'm going to use my uh, sofa analogy, my Instagram sofa analogy What's in a that? moment. Uh, oh, I'll use it now then. Hold you know? on, I th- it, 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 this is going to be this is going to change your life. Hold warning, on, warning, warning. <laughs> I'm all ears. No, this is all to do with the whole kind of you know, give them more stuff or yeah. Instagram likes. The more Instagram likes you've got, the more chance you've got of booking a, a wedding client. Yeah, which is total. Don't be rude. Because you know, if you think about it, right? Let's just say you've got you're going to DFS sofa warehouse shop, whatever it's called. Yeah, other. Warehouse shops are available. You don't. You don't go shopping at sofa no. shops. I always uh, give you my sofa. Uh, that's true. I've Last got time looks. I came to your place. <laughs> I, I was sitting on a seat. I thought this looks very familiar. Yeah. Oh no! I gave this to Kev. Yeah, in my studio is full of your old furniture. Yeah, and my house is full of Actually, old friends' old furniture. furniture. Look at that! Look at that chair over there. Look how my one's fallen apart. Your yeah. one is. It looks like it's new. Do you want to buy it? <laughs> no. I've got a really nice one in this studio. <laughs> Sorry, go on. So you go to DFS. Right, and there's three sofas. Yes. One of them is smelly, manky, horrible, yeah. miserable looking thing, like the one in the corner of your room over there, right? <laughs> and, it's got uh, character. Uh, and one of them is really beautiful, like yeah. the one in my house. Yes. And another one is also really beautiful, but it's maybe a slightly different style to one you like. So the one that's really beautiful and, you know, you love it and it looks amazing. And, um, you know, the price, all the prices are the same by the way which one are you going to buy which one are you going to want to take home I want to take home the really nice looking one that yeah yeah absolutely so if the manager then came out to you and said right oh just so you're aware that the smelly horrible one in the corner there yeah, yeah. that's sold way more than any other <laughs> way more than any of the other sofas the one that you want sold the least yeah. and the other one sold a little bit more would that change your mind no no so when you think of a bride going to Instagram and looking at three pictures, one from a photographer that's got 10,000 likes, fake likes in yeah. most cases, yeah. and one from a photographer that's got 10 likes, but she loves the picture, yeah. who's she going to go to? She's going to go to the one where the picture that she liked the most. Exactly. I would have yeah. assumed. Exactly. So it's not about the no, most no likes you've got. No difference at other likes. Yeah, it's not yeah. about the likes you've got and, yeah. and what you're giving them and free dinners and all that stuff. It's about whether they like your <laughs> pictures, surely. Yeah. No, I'm glad you say that because I, I was thinking very hard about which steakhouse I could be taking people to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and any clients listening right now, which I know they do, yes. don't go getting ideas now. I love you, but yeah. um, let's split the bill at least. Yeah, but, um, go Dutch. Dutch, Dutch tilt. Go, yes. go Dutch, go Dutch tilt. tilt. Yeah, there's a photographic reference for clients. You can go look that one up. Right, your your question. Uh, right, okay. I have a question from Matthew Hyde. Hello, Matthew. Um, Hi, Kevin and Neil. Firstly, thanks for creating such an interesting and engaging show. I don't listen very often. (laughs) But when I do, I binge on three or four episodes at a time. Anyway, my question is about how do you go about your choice of aperture when shooting documentary-style work? It's all Um, guesswork. Be it family, street, or weddings. I often come away from a moment wishing I'd uh, had the time to fully appreciate the shot I was taking and could have either isolated the subject more or shot closed down to really get the detail of something in the background more. Just interested to know your take on it and if it's as simple as I shoot wide inside and closed and closed outside. P.S. Can I shadow you, both, shadow you both for some experience? By reading this email out on the podcast, you are agreeing to that request. <laughs> Cheers, Matt. <laughs> Um, okay, so have you, have you just agreed to that thing? Have you? <laughs> you have to speak to the gatekeeper. You have to speak to Gemma. <laughs> Go on, then. What do you think about this? Uh, yeah, I don't really think about the aperture. I have to say, in most cases, I, I, I would rather see some kind of layering and depth of field, interesting stuff going on in the background. I'm really so you'll shoot shallow. Shoot shallow, or is it deep? I can never get it. So shallow, depth of, sorry, d- d- shallow depth of field is what I meant to say. No, a deep depth of field. That's deep depth of field, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. See, it's confusing, isn't it? Yeah. The smaller the number, the less blurry the background. No, the more blurry the background. <laughs> it's that bokeh. I love that bokeh. Yeah. I want a bit more bokeh. Yeah. I do. 
Um, so, uh, so that's the way you. Uh, you unless I, I want to isolate a subject. So yeah. during um, the the the, the um, when they're at the front of the church or something like yeah, that, then yeah. I'm doing that. Um, but generally, I'm going to be shooting. You know, the candid stuff. If I'm running around, I'm often shooting in P mode, and so the camera is yeah. dealing with it all. Um, generally, that P mode seems to come out of five, six, six, three. Yeah, it will. It generally. will, and it will because the light is neutral. As long yeah. as once the light starts dropping, then you know you're you're unless you're in very bright sunshine and sometimes yeah. it can kick out to f16 or whatever and then you're going to get see some amazing things in the background yeah i wouldn't overthink it is the answer thank you here's a question from ah uh, oh, we haven't heard from this chap for a long time our good friend alan gump oh, alan. is he is telling it? us off no he's not actually yeah. i've got a question for kevin Coming off the fabulous interview with Jeremy Delder on colour calibration, I shoot mainly monochrome, but I try to calibrate my monitor with a Spider Pro 10 or X so I am within range colour-wise. Do you need to do that? Uh, for black and white, yeah, yeah, you should still calibrate. And you should also, if you're editing raw files um, and you're going to be pushing them into black and white, you should still colour correct first. Yeah. Absolutely, white balance, all that stuff. So I had a couple of questions in here. Should I set the EVF to auto? Um, rely more upon the histogram, all the above, or do something different? There's a very long, in-depth question here about how he set his shadows and noise reduction, mm-hmm. highlights, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, what, what would you do? Um, so I always set my EVF to auto. Yeah. Um, so he, what, what he's saying there is the brightness of the EVF and the LCD you can yeah. set to different levels. Yeah. Um, I always set it to auto. You can twist, uh, you can adjust them, um, and it does depend a little bit on... Um, uh, you know your your eyesight really rather than the ambient light that you're in so auto works well for me you have to just be careful that you're not seeing something different in the evf because yeah. you're if you've pushed up the brightness of your evf then your exposure in your camera will look eight. i must check that I, I i used a sony the other day and they have it has an automatic um it, it practically seeing in the dark setting which I found very disconcerting. And Sony users may well be able to um, perhaps answer this question about the camera when, when it lifts up the, the, the picture so much mm. that you think you're photographing something very different to what you're actually photographing. Hmm. lifts up that, that exposure on the EVF. It was quite disconcerting. Uh, I've never seen that. Um, finally, could you please speak to the effect of colour calibrating the monitor, Kev, on monochrome image making? Is colour calibrating essential? Well, we kind of said it is there. Or, or does it suffice just to get the brightness level baselined? Right. So um, that interview with Jeremy was... I, I found it really interesting. And I was driving along the M something or other, right. um, and it, it kind of got me got me through a pile of traffic um and uh in fact Gemma rang when i when i was listening to that at Did one you? point and, and she was like what are you doing i was like i'm listening to i'm listening to a podcast i'm right. listening to the podcast the interview about um color back calibration <laughs> she said should i call you back I went yeah call me back this is a really good bit <laughs> oh no. did you offend her she'd be like oh, yeah. <laughs> don't offend Gemma." but it was it was it was really interesting because actually what he was saying was was true and and i i have those monitors that he was talking about the benq sw yeah, yeah. uh 27 and the, about, yeah. and the 32 yeah and and what i love about those monitors is they have a black and white mode so you can press the puck there's a little puck and you can press one yes. of the buttons yes you can and everything goes black and white it doesn't it doesn't adjust the colors it just turns the screen black and white right so you can get a very very quick idea if you if your images are color already if you can get a very quick idea of ones that are going to work good in black and white based on the lights and the shadows because right. that's what black and white is about right right um images that are not necessarily you know, uh, really using the light and shadow are not necessarily going to look good in black and white but oh. if you have your photo mechanic open and you've got you know 200 pictures there you can switch the screen to black and white and immediately you can you can see the ones that will look good in black and that's white that's a really good idea yeah so i bet I, you wouldn't want to go back to working any other way with any other screen now no those those are great those screens absolutely great i must admit i really like them and um, not as expensive as the the uh, no, iso monitors the, the 32 ISO, inch ISO, ISO. I ha- i've had three of them now so the first one i had was the 32 inch pv monitor Huge which is the thing, video yeah. for video editing yeah yeah Good and I, I switched that out for the 32 inch sw which is more for fo- photo for, to- right, for, yeah. for, for that thing that we do yeah um uh, and I now have the 27-inch one as well. So I think the 32-inch one is about 1,500 quid, so it's not cheap, mm-hmm. but it's definitely, definitely something to consider. The 32-inch one, uh, I, I sold mine in the end, funnily enough, to Steve. who uh, uh, Yes, yeah. that's right, yeah, and I sold him my computer. Yeah, 
and yeah. so he's uh, paired them up, and I'm I'm now regretting that because I'd like that <laughs> like that monitor back for yeah. the new setup I'm going to have. Yeah. Steve, can I have it back, please? How about new? Give me two hundred and fifty quid. You can keep the computer, Steve. It's all right. It's <laughs> no, rubbish. I, I, no, don't say that. <laughs> joke, I joke, will, joke, You'll be in trouble. <laughs> anyway, um, Alan, Alan Gump, I'm going to send you a strap because that was a really long question, and we I'm aware that we didn't uh, go all the way through. But you spend a long time piecing that together. So so he's usually our fact checker, is Alan Gump. So thank you very much for your email. And that's all I have to say about that. Absolutely. Your question, then. Uh, OK, so this is from Andrej. Almost definitely not. Andrej. Not the Andrej we talked to, is it? No. Andrej Ons. No, not Oh, Ons. 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 Uh, I, I can't... Is that right? How are you spelling it? O-N-D-R-E-J. J... O N D R E J. Yeah. Ons. Is is that right? There we go. That's what we'll go with. Ons. Okay. Hello, Kevin and Neil. <laughs> Big fan of your podcast uh, that you produce together. Listen to all of the Fuji podcasts so far. Yeah. Can I ask you about one technicality on an X Pro 2? I found out that in manual focus, when I want to use the back button focus, it always lags before taking a picture. Right. The camera fully opens the aperture and closes on the one you have chosen for every single shot. I haven't found a lot of talk about this, which seems weird because it's a big problem for me. Does this ever happen to you, or is it possible it's just a problem with my X-Pro2? Thank you so much. Have a great day. Um, the problem is more pronounced most significantly on the 56 1.2. I found it only a few sentences about this, and it could be called an aperture dance. An aperture dance? Never heard of one of those before. Aperture is that like dance. the safety dance? Mm, aperture dance. So he's saying, uh, right, back button focus. Just so happens I have an X-Pro3 right in front yeah, of me. Yeah, see, I was going to draw this round to your X-Pro3. I'll just open up the LCD on the back so I can see what I'm doing. See, now uh, that's a couple of seconds you wouldn't have had to have taken had you had the LCD on the back of the camera. No, well, I'm only doing it this way so you can see, really. Otherwise, I'd look through the viewfinder. All right. Um, although I'm not showing it to you. So, right, I'm back button focusing. Yep. Uh, I'm wide open. Yep. I'm not going to make... I'm going to make sure it's not in full speed drive. Yep. All right, so I've focused on your... Focused focusing on, on, the, on your... On the printer. On the, on the picture. Okay. Very satisfying noise, isn't it? Sounds like know. sounds like a guillotine. I think. Sounds, sounds like sounds like somebody having their head cut off in, really? in like 14th century France. Listen. Yeah. Oh. That's three more subjects. Um. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All gone. Fourth. So uh, I don't know. Is the answer aperture dance? It's not something I've heard of, and and no, it shouldn't really be doing that. The only thing I can think of is that, um, possibly. Double check that you have the um, your shutter button is not hooked up to um, AF constant AF on in one of the menu options. I can't remember which one it is right now. Um, so uh, just double check that. Um, and the easiest thing to do is just do a, a camera reset if you if you're stuck with that, and then yeah. it'll it'll reset it. Yeah. Double check. Um, no, it should be fine. I mean the the camera will. St- I mean the 56 is a little bit slower than the others, and, and depending on the focus. But the lag on the X Pro 2 is is, is zero, pretty much. Like okay. there is none. Um, so What's, uh, let, let's bring it around to the X Pro 3 now. What's the lag like on? Well, the X Pro 3 technically should be the same sensor as the X Pro as the X T3. T3 yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. the X Pro 3 will uh, has got the same sensor as the X T3. Yeah. However, it is faster than the X T3. I am convinced of it. Why? I have no idea, um, and uh, you know they, the official specs I think will basically say the same thing. X transfer sensor. Is uh, the startup time quicker from when you turn it on to go boom, bang, got it, nailed it? Yeah, I mean it's on. It's that's it. It's good to go. Boom, it's gone. It's, yeah. Everything's. I mean, I have to say when I, you know, right. The thing about this camera, I'm okay to say this that I was, um, you know, partly involved in some of the decisions on the design of it, and I my I took to the table. I said. Keep it the same as the X-Pro2, make it obviously better inside, um, make the EVF, sorry, the OVF better. And I actually didn't want a tilt screen on this camera. No. I didn't want a tilt screen on the camera. I, you know, I, I, I just didn't. I, it's not for me. However... We ended up with the weirdest tilt screen ever as far as I can well, see. Well, it's, 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 well, it certainly is weird. But, you know, so... Although the, it pulls down quicker if you're doing a waistline... 
compositions than well the, the the thing is what what happened was they um you know my they kind of asked us all you know fill in this little form yeah. and i was like no 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 tilt screen at all um and th- that just doesn't sell cameras no. right the fact is you know for every one person like me that doesn't want a tilt screen there's probably 10 that does and and future film have to sell cameras so a tilt screen it was um and the reason why it's not an all singing all dancing tilt screen that kind of swings around and goes over the top and they just do selfies and all that kind of stuff twofold really one it would have made the camera quite a bit bigger mm-hmm. depth wise mm-hmm. because of the extra hinges that would be needed and also it's it's aimed really at people who just want to shoot purists and you know who aren't really going to be using that lcd and maybe you're going to use it to review images later um and and i have to say the more i've used it the more i've basically ignored that lcd on the back right um my the thing that i was concerned about the most when i first started testing it all those months ago was the menu when i move through the menus i you know i like to use the lcd on the back um and so now i just have to flip that down and yeah that is a bit of a and I always kind of knew that would be, but um, you know, the other other than that, it's actually a, a amazing camera. Yeah. Um, and those that know me know that I I went for an XT3 because an X there was there was no sign of an X Pro three. Yeah. Um, normally the the it works the other way around, and um, and and easily this will replace my XT3. You know, that was going to be my question: Will you honestly, yeah. honestly replace? Yeah. I mean, it? I'll, it doesn't I'll, have a rear screen on it. Yeah, I'll keep my XT3. Can't use that for for filming. No, I'll keep my XT3 for filming, but yeah. for stills, this. F- for me, ergonomic, there's a, the new grip on it, the new film simulation, yep. the speed of it, the functionality, everything about this camera is what i wanted the xt3 to uh, sorry the x pro 3 to be yeah they had there were some ridiculous ideas on the table that luckily were were canned but the the lcd on the back is that's the elephant in the room some Mm. of you will like it some of you won't but Mm. if you ignore that lcd right if you ignore that that part of this this camera this is a remarkably quick reportage style camera is it Yeah. yeah but for people who don't want that, then the XT3 is there, of course. Now you tend to take out lots of different uh, bodies when you when you do your um, w- when you shoot. So you've you've of, you've often got an X100, and then um, albeit F, sorry, mm. and and you've got a, an X Pro Two and an XT3. But will will you now use this as maybe one on each? Yeah, so I would use I would, would use I would two X Pro threes and yeah. and stop taking around all the different flavors you have for weddings. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so no, I mean I only ever shoot with two bodies at weddings, and yeah. it's, it, it's it used to be two X Pro twos, but then the XT three came along, which obviously is a lot better than the X Pro two. So I could so only that, so you've been using XP two and XT three, correct? You? Yeah. So now it's going to be two XP threes. Uh, Do you think? Yeah, I mean probably one X Pro three and one X Pro two for the. Okay foreseeable future until right. until some more wedding bookings come in and the <laughs> yeah, kids have been fed and all well, that you know when you're going wrong you need to be um, uh, inviting all your clients out for steak dinner that's so right and you added value twice the amount of added value right um, um, yep. time for this week's interview Chris Wardell we uh, well we both met him at the Brighton mm-hmm. listener meetup um, fascinating chap um, a good pedigree of photographer um, some great experiences working in digital marketing as well knows his onions in that kind of thing uh, but uh, I was interested to talk to Chris because uh, he'd been doing, for, for many, many years, a tour of the UK, making photographs of all the peers. Now, I should also point out that today's interview is a slightly abridged version of a longer cast. I'll tell you about that during the interview. And this one is for every single listener who's thought about starting a project, long or short tail, and taking that project to turn it into maybe a book or something like that. So this is Chris Waddell. Yes, the book is The End of the Peer Show, for which we'll have details in the show notes so you can go and add that to your bookshelf. And it seems fitting uh, that this interview is recorded in Brighton, sheltered from that kind of seaside drizzle that usually has your route marching into the nearest amusements. Not us. We sat out in it uh, to to talk about his book. Oh, I do like to be beside the seaside. I do like to be beside the sea. I do like. So let's start with a, a, a pronunciation lesson. Clanneth. Go on. Clanethly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's where this madness all started. Well, kind of. Um, I guess my first memory of uh, fantasising about being by the seaside would have been at school in Flanethley. Um I was born near Swansea, near the Mumbles Pier. Um, 
I remember being at school with a friend called Alan, and uh, it's not very Welsh. Oh, A L U N. Oh, I know oh, that is Welsh. That is definitely Welsh. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, we were sat on the uh, school wall pretending to fish of all things but I just really like the idea of actually hanging my legs off a pier and you know I've done so since with my kids with crabbing and all this kind of stuff that we all probably enjoy as well do you think it's a I mean I love that the context of being with your kids on a pier dangling your legs off and fishing and do you think that's something that's a is that dying or are people just as fascinated by piers as ever they were I think we all still love the idea of a pier the connection with the sea um, some people might argue we evolved from the sea <laughs> so, um, well some of us um, uh, but yeah this I, I guess a pier to my mind transports you to another place um, gives you a sense of fantasy the idea that you're going somewhere new you could pretend you're on a ship um, or you could just enjoy the view and scoff an ice cream well I said that just now as we were walking along the, the, the um, what would be the western side of the pier here yeah. it felt like we were walking on the deck of the Titanic yeah, or the Marie Celeste, because it's pretty quiet today. Yeah, well, that's because of the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Even the gulls are not playing today. They've, yeah, they've well, decided... Our chips are safe today. <laughs> they've dug in. <laughs> so, 2008, you had this... Uh, so, th- this is where I've, I've got a bit of a difficulty with the, um, with, with the time period that you were shooting this project, because I thought you started 2003, but in your book, it, it was 2008, you sat on, where was it, Bournemouth's main pier, and you started mulling over this idea yeah, of this project. That's where the idea kind of first took hold. Um, there is a, a picture earlier on in the book um, from 2003 featuring my kids near Penarth Pier, which is again another place I spent some time growing up in in South Wales. Um, and it was such a lovely pick of my boys; it was too good to leave out, you know. So rather than revisit Penarth Pier, I thought, well, what a nice way to start as a little tribute to my sons at the start, throwing pebbles in the beach on Penarth Pier uh, from Penarth Pier, and. Um, uh, yeah, and then at, later on at Bournemouth, we were there um, with the boys again. Um, and as is typical, I got up at stupid o'clock, went down on the beach and saw this lovely view of the beach having been freshly raked by the local authority, ready for that summer's day's worth of enjoyment. And it just provided a, a lovely leading line into uh, Bournemouth Pier, which just, you know, from that point, the idea was born. So even though the idea was born in 2008, it was actually a couple of years later where really you, you got the benefit of a certain society throwing their weight behind it. Um, well, I did it separately to the Peer Society, but I used their archive and their reference materials online as a very useful kind of um, tool. Were they the barometer then of what, what a peer was? Uh, they are... For the purposes of this book, there are other peer-like structures in the UK that may be not listed by them, but I use them as my definitive list. So, photographing peers, is there a method? Because, as we've already discussed off-microphone, um, th- there could have been a temptation to have made a collection of beautiful but but very clichéd images of uh, peers at sunset or sunrise. Yeah, my method was to um, photograph peers in in whatever state i found them as i arrived um that was that ended up becoming quite a strict approach i didn't want a book you know a 140 page book full of sunsets or sunrises there are inevitably some of those within the book but i i would have struggled with a book that was presented as just picture postcards there are some that are grittier there are some with rough seas there are some on gray days um there's a lovely one of in Great Yarmouth of a really grey day with a kind of quite sort of spooky looking pier um, on on a beach the pier is completely surrounded by sand because the sea's out um, the, and there's a, a dad with his son on a, a donkey ride um, in the foreground you know and it, it that, I mean that struck me as archetypally kind of British summer holiday you know we're going to enjoy ourselves no matter what yeah. <laughs> when you mentioned the ar- ar- archetypal um, summer holiday shot of, of a pier in, in many respects I mean they do have I've been to, I've been to the pier in Daytona, Daytona Beach Pier which is quite a famous American one but do we do it better? Well I think we've got more than any other country Even uh, America? I think so yes wow. um, we've, 
we've certainly in this country the pleasure pier was kind of a badge of civic pride i guess in victorian times um it it was often you know a train ride for people out of the smoke down to the seaside get off the train wander down to the pier and have straight on the pier yeah yeah. yeah. um so i i guess it kind of um reflected a spirit of optimism in victorian times where we seemed to be building ornate cast iron structures left right and center ride pier for example you talk about getting off the train actually the train is on ride pier yeah ride pier is a fantastic pier Mm. um the train takes you right to the end of the pier Uh, they currently run or certainly the last time i visited there they were running a stock of um old london underground trains they still are they still are yes so um so you've got this wonderful three sort of three strains of pier within one pier you've got the pedestrian route you've got cars that go to the ferry at the end of the pier and you've got um the train as you've discussed so you've got this bonkers absolutely bonkers pier with um an element of dereliction in the centre of it as well. Yeah. I want to get back to actually talking about the, the technicalities. There might not be that many technicalities from <laughs> what you said a moment ago of, of photographing peers because you, you turned up, you took them in the state that they were, but give me some other technical advice on, on how, how you photographed them. Were you using a tripod or, or was, it, was it really photojournalistic in the way you approached it? Um, no tripod. I'm not a fan of stationing myself with a tripod and a whole bank of filters or anything like that I prefer something more immediate um, I may have I used a, I may have used a tripod on one or two if they were particularly early hours but um, no generally I'd just turn up squat down on the beach take some pictures of the pier from its exterior angles wander along the pier obviously um, some of the piers I featured details rather than the whole pier um, I've visited Blackpool and obviously we've got three piers up there on the same seafront and uh, yeah there's all sorts of weird and wonderful angles there obviously I had to take a shot from Blackpool Tower um, yeah and and it's nice to feature the piers from different angles um, and as we discussed not to have a book full of cliches we live in an age where security stops you from photographing certain buildings and iconic structures did you run into that as an issue when you were making these pictures uh no um i managed to avoid that i didn't have any issues with security at all i I actually um managed to wangle my way onto southport pier at um before opening time because the cleaner walked past and took pity on me (laughs) he said well you can come on while i'm emptying the bin so i had the whole pier to myself which was absolutely lovely to have a completely empty pier which of course you know we would all love a kind of purely architectural shot of something like that um as well as some of the shots i've taken which feature um people enjoying the piers as well but um that that was the only one where i kind of encountered anyone remotely official um i think some piers can get a little bit twitchy about photographers wandering on and taking commercial work but i didn't see this as a commercial project and actually the fact that you weren't standing there with a with a, a tripod and a medium format camera mounted atop that meant that you had a bit more freedom uh, definitely I, I i don't like the restrictions of a tripod i prefer the immediacy of actually um engaging with my surroundings and wondering about my surroundings rather than just standing in one place hoping for the skies to look perfect and that was going to be another question actually because there are some there are some beautiful blue sky days in the book but there are equally um those days where as a photographer you look at it and think well this guy looks so disinteresting but that wouldn't stop you would it no gravesend was a particularly dismal visit i remember um really and it's a well arguably a dismal looking pier as well short truncated thing um industrial background and um I shot it from a couple of angles as a peer in the book. In those instances, I, I kind of look at it as an opportunity to explore black and white, for instance. So again, the book isn't purely colour. It's a mixture of black and white, as appropriate to the subject on the days that I visited. Let's talk about projects. This was a, a mammoth personal project. There must have been times where your family thought you, you'd gone off your rocker because to cover how many piers are there um in the book i cover 59 or 60 i guess if you include the west pier that we've discussed as being a sort of should it be a pier or not 
Um, and that's in Scotland, England, uh, Wales. Yeah, there are a couple in Scotland. There's one in Yorkshire at Saltburn, which is beautiful. Has a funicular railway behind it. Um, the the north um, west of England, down to Falmouth in Cornwall, and obviously there's loads around the uh, Sussex, Kent. Uh, coastline and then east anglia as well there's loads around that way you know southwold as we've discussed off off mic as well yeah it was a mammoth task i'd go away for maybe two or three days at a time and you know either stay in a b&b or a travel lodge or whatever and get the ferry over to the isle of man at kind of midnight and and um you know i it it was it was definitely as i emphasized to my teenage sons who were prone to take the pee out of there old man uh it wasn't a holiday it was a it was a it was work you know i saw it as work and i treated it seriously you know but but it was quite an investment up front huge investment not not just um the travel and the hotel costs i mean i did you know stay as i say stay in budget hotels but also the production of the book was a huge investment as well because i went down the litho route and produced a small edition of 500 for myself and i wanted litho because my background is as a graphic designer I saw it as better quality to produce something nice and hardback. I saw some of the digital reproductions that are out there um, that you can, you know, do online. And the cost per unit for doing a digital version of this would have been prohibitive in terms of selling it. So I did my maths and worked out that I could just about break even on the print costs at 150 copies LIFO. Um, and anything after that would start to repay the years of investment of time, petrol and hotels. So did you approach this as a, as a designer or as a photographer? Um, as a photographer, um, but with my design head on for the end product. Um, I guess as a designer, I, I've talked to other people about this, as a designer I have an advantage over um, maybe a number of other photographers in that... Um, I've been taught design principles in terms of composition and and that informed much of the book as well um, so I relied on on my skills as both so with your photographer head on how, how important do you think it is photographers often talk about personal projects and, and, and actually never getting around to, to com- completing their personal projects or even starting their personal projects how important do you think it is a, as a photographer to have these kind of things critical um, I saw this the end of this project and the production of the book as a real punctuation point in my experience as a photographer um, and I saw it almost as year zero from that point onwards I saw that as a huge part of my learning um, experience over 10 years plus producing this book and have since been working on as I say a photo a day project in purely black and white the first year of that project I restricted myself to a 50 mil lens so 365 days worth of daily photographs with a 50mm lens only. Um, I had somebody visit, I put on an exhibition of some of this work at our open studios. We do an exhibition annually at home. And um, I had somebody from local camera club turn up and tell me that um, he loved my photographs and he was really blown away by some of them. Um, then he asked me which lens I'd use to shoot and I told him 50 mil. and he then turned around and said oh isn't that a really boring lens and I thought but you've just told me you love the photos I mean you know this is this is the battle I have with the sort of the techno geeks in the photography world is that they're they're more interested in kit rather than the end result and for me it's all about the image and how you get there whether it's with your iPhone or with a you know DSLR it's irrelevant to me as long as you get a decent final image at the end of it could you have done this on a mobile phone do you think no surely not um i've actually published commercial work from a mobile phone yeah so if the light's right for print resolution these days you know an iphone is pretty decent i've met a photographer recently who um does a lot of food styling and he was telling me that he was on the verge of producing a purely iphone shot um recipe book um so the well the resolution is perfectly possible the resolution is possible i think the critical thing when you're shooting on a mobile phone is lighting traditionally they've been awful at low light haven't they um so yeah i guess i could have done this but i enjoyed the benefit of a variety of lenses on this project um 
So you, you started well, unofficially that picture in 2003 when you started the project. Yeah. Ish. Right? 2008 is when it really started. Yeah. 2010 is when the Peer Society, uh, you, you started sort of going on board with, with, with their definition of peer. So, yes. And then it gained acceleration and it finished in 2017. Do you remember going to that last peer like a rap day on a Hollywood film and thinking, oh, do you know, I'm really going to miss this? Um, there was an element of that. Um, the project gave me the ideal excuse for some days away on my own and some thinking time and some soul searching time as well as the photography um but there was a huge sense of relief as well because the project had stalled numerous points over the 10 years that i'd been dipping in and out of it um for a number of reasons i think um i mentioned in the intro to the book at one point i'd had a bit of a breakdown um i lost the hearing in one ear um, was putting up with the effects of tinnitus and that kind of put the brakes on a little bit and actually doing a project like this was was good therapy really good therapy um, and I don't, you know, try not to bandy about mental health issues too much but um, I'm sure lots of creative people have similar experiences to the one I've had and it, absorbing yourself in a personal project is great therapy now, it's interesting you should mention that because I spoke recently with uh, Ian MacDonald, who is uh, a Canadian photographer. He was, um, he was a paramedic and he suffered um, from post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And he said that it wasn't so much a cure, but, but it was certainly a way of him starting his recovery. Because the moment he put that, that camera around his neck and the moment he started making photographs, then, then life eased. I can understand why. Um, if I'm on a day's photography for myself um, as opposed to running photo walks for other people for instance but if I'm on, on my own and I'm absorbed in collecting some research some images some thoughts um, I tend not to worry about other stuff while I'm doing it I really kind of go in deep and um, if, if your um, contact enjoyed the therapy of that i can understand why as a midway show note ian mcdonald's interview on photography and how it helped with his own mental health issues can be heard in episode 30 now i mentioned that this was an abridged version of my chat with chris waddell about his book end of the peer show a full version can be heard on the breathe pictures podcast which depending upon when you listen to today's show may be coming shortly or already be out such is the the nature of time travel in the podcast universe so back to chris and we sat for a while leafing through the book the pictures he'd made the sights he'd seen and in that just behind us along the coastline not far from the palace pier in brighton where we were sat recording this interview was the burned out ruins of brighton's west pier that finally succumbed to a devastating fire in 2003 I was intrigued to see if there was any mileage in returning to some of the peers that have also changed, albeit in not quite such dramatic fashion. Yeah, I think I will go back. I will definitely go back to some of these. Um, it'd be interesting to see Felix Stowe. Um, Cleethorpes is another one that was restored since I did the book. So Cleethorpes was in a horrible state. It's quite a truncated pier, short, stocky thing, and... Um, They've since done up the whole pier to be a massive fish and chip restaurant. Now, I can't think of a better reason to revisit a beer than a whopping great plate of fish and chips. Apparently, they're very good as well. What do you think um, makes a pier? I guess a number of factors. People's enjoyment of it. I'm not necessarily bothered if the pier doesn't have many attractions on it. I quite like an empty pier. Walton on the Nays, I, I quite like. I mean, it's got a massive amusement arcade at the start of the pier. Huge amusement arcade. But... And then as you go through and out the other end of the amusement arcade, you've got this great kind of huge pier with a lifeboat station at the end of it, um, blokes fishing off the side of it. And actually, I really enjoy that aspect of seeing guys fishing off the side of the pier, referring back to my original little fancy. I'm not a fisherman these days. So, you know, I, 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 the, the last time I've dangled anything um, on a rod into the water was crabbing with the kids, you know. Um, I was going to do some euphemistic dangling joke there, but I thought best not. <laughs> well, on a pier, I mean, anything goes with humour on a pier. Well, exactly, end of the pier end show the and pier all that, show, all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that is kind of my level of humour, probably. But um, I guess, yeah, seeing people enjoy it is the critical thing. And and glitz and the lights and the neon and the flashing lights, I'm not, I'm not that bothered about. Would you do this all again? Would, would there 
would there be a place for a, a second book and a, ch- a chance for, for you to tour around the UK again, get away from the family, a bit more thinking time again, a chance for your kids to take the mickey out of you again and say, it's, it's not work, Dad? Um, yes. Some people have suggested I go and do lighthouses. I'm not sure about that. I think, you know, much as lighthouses are picturesque, they don't hold quite the same attraction to me as a, as a seaside pier. They're visually interesting, but do I feel connected to them? Not really. Um, seaside piers, I mean, I, I'm finding it very relaxing sat on this pier talking to you right now. You know, I love them. Absolutely love them. Now, I know what you don't love. You don't love amusements, but uh, should we go and play on the penny slots? Oh, well, yeah, I, I used to spend most summers at Mumbles Pier. We've got family down that way, and um, the number of two peas that I put on the cakewalk back then is, is probably legendary. You know, I'm pretty sure back then kids were a much cheaper date for their parents. You know, Dad, can I have a pile of two peas? You know, and he'd, he'd dip in his pocket for a pound. You'd go and get a pound's worth of two peas and play on the cakewalk for hours. <laughs> So here is the, the book here for the end of the Pier Show, photographed by Chris Waddell. And, um, yeah, it's a it's a fan- mm. fantastic book. Yeah, it's lovely. Really beautifully I printed, proper life of print. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he's in, he's in Swindon, isn't he? Yes, based in Swindon. Landlocked Swindon, but he loves peers. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have any peers in Swindon, as far as I know. But uh, it's a beautiful book, and I will we, we will provide a link. So if you'd like to, to buy the book, having heard Chris talk about it now, you can do. I'm going to put that in the You Must Buy That Great Book pile, which is just over there. These piles are getting very large. Yeah. Um, your, um, your question, I believe. Okay, I've got a, a question from Simon Berry. And he says, hello, chaps. Great show. Listened first to the Chris Floyd episode and have since been working my way through the archive. I have Chris Floyd was uh, three weeks ago. Yeah, I have noticed there's understandably in brackets, lots of mentions of camera bodies, but not many mentions of lenses. How do you see the relationship between the two? Do you see the body as significantly more important in terms of end results? And what proportion of gear expenditure would you expect each to take up? Thanks in advance. Simon. Simon, I've never never looked at it as a as a percentage before <laughs> I like his email address yeah. Simon in Cornwall <laughs> is, it? That's his email address. is it really um, well, there's not many other Simons there obviously. I won't read out the end of it though no because it isn't like uh, who was it like wasn't it Fern, Fern Cotton or something somebody read out her telephone number on Radio 1 no really <laughs> yeah oh. <laughs> slight mistake yeah, yeah. Um, okay so yeah I mean there is a relationship clearly uh, if you if you listen to the camera manufacturers the uh, cameras generally don't make them much, there's no, not much margin on the camera no. on a body it's all about the lenses and it's almost like a restaurant so it's not, it's not on the alcohol it's all on the food it's all on the food yeah true and lenses being the food yeah and uh, yeah I mean but the thing is the irony of it is that lenses tend to last longer Mm. they tend to be the things you keep hold of well you make your journey with your lens don't you yeah and um and you know you you often upgrade cameras and yeah. you know you all, we all have a bit of gas and everything so i beg your pardon yeah oh, i don't know <laughs> i mean I, yeah there's there's clearly a relationship but i would say in terms of expenditure i probably spend more on camera bodies than i do on lenses but that's because the lenses have longevity and typically, if you look at the Canon history, for example, they're, um, you know, they're like 35 and 85 mil lenses. It, you know, it was several years before they were updated. Yeah. And then when the technology gets more advanced, they update them more quickly. But they, you know, they were they were mainstay lenses, amazing lenses. Well, um, I've still got my, I don't have, I've only got two bits of Canon stuff. And this is uh, one of the lenses, the 50 mil, that doesn't work anymore. And this 85 mil, which is the old 1.8, which is a lens I carried all through my, not all through the career, but um, certainly, I, I just can't bring myself to get rid of this. Yeah, I had the 85 1.2 Canon lens. It was yeah. beautiful. It looked like a bubble. It did. But, but it, it was amazing. It, it took about three and a half years to focus, it didn't did. it? And you could bring yeah. up a family and send them off to university in that time. Yeah, but I used that a lot. You know, did we're you? using back button focusing on those Canons. Same thing. It's, really? That was the same the same issue that a lot of people have. If you use back button focusing, everything's a lot I quicker. love this 1.8 Canon one. It was lovely. Right. So thank you, Simon. Um, yeah, that's the answer. Okay. Simon in Cornwall. Um, actually, Greg Smith wrote a very similar thing. Um, uh, the, the question I uh, asked and discussed numerous times all over the world, but I uh, can't remember if it's ever come up on the show. It, it, um, I will find that show and have another listen. He said, well, you can listen to this. 
Um, here's my question. What is the most important, gear or eye? Is the best camera in the world and less uh, in, in, in the hands of a novice? If I'm amazing at composition, can my talents be improved by a two grand lens? So kind of the same question there, really, isn't it? Yeah, and, and clearly anybody would, I think, say that the the eye is more important. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can, you can, people take amazing pictures with a, with an iPhone, you know, and people make take yeah. really rubbish pictures with a Canon 5D 1X6, whatever it's called, or a Fujifilm X Pro 2 or 3 or whatever yeah. before we get bashed. Yeah, I would say I, easily, okay. hands down. Um, so Andy Stonia, uh, question, what small insignificant thing about wedding photography really gets your goat mullins? Mine, we did say the mullins. Well, hang on, hang on. Was was mullins the answer? <laughs> what small insignificant thing about wedding photography gets your goat? Mullins. mullins. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's the answer. Move on. <laughs> okay. uh, mine is plastic coat hangers, he says. Um, or rather, Andy Stonia says, the bride has spent more money on her dress than you as a wedding photographer. Yeah. And has it hanging on some cheap old plastic grubby <laughs> boot fair bit of... He didn't say that bit. <laughs> But he, he was getting very angry. Yeah. Very irate was was Andy getting. Um, yeah. This is sounding like The Hobbit. That kind of thing would not bother me no? in the slightest. But I can understand if you're if you're making a nice portrait of the dress hanging yeah, up, you you yeah. know, that, that kind of thing would upset you. Cakes next to walls, that really... Just, I know, somebody brings in a beautiful cake and then they go and stick it right next to some beige wall. Do you know, the thing that gets me is... DJs or bands oh. that start by doing a soul 1970s soul classic. And they don't just don't come out of it for about 15, 20 minutes. Um, play something new! Everybody just goes. No, no. They do the first dance, Ed Sheeran or whatever, and then they go straight into, you <laughs> know, the, the. It's not even like they choose the Bee Gees or something, you know, a little bit funky. Yeah. They go for, you know, George Benson or something, you know, and, and, and that's it. The dance floor totally empties. And then the DJ doesn't realise it. And then, uh, yeah, that's yeah. it. And I'm just a dead-looking yeah. lost. Uh, yeah, that that annoys me. I, oh, there's lots of things, actually. I, I did one. Uh, obviously, having worked in that business and in my formative years, uh, I did once point out to a, to a DJ, and I've never done it since. I thought, no, actually, I don't like people telling me how to make the pictures, so I shouldn't be telling this chap how to do his job. But the same thing, cleared the absolute dance floor, and I thought, do I need to get pictures of this? And and I've got nothing to make pictures of, mm. and it just went on and on with Diana Ross and and, yeah. and you know yeah, yeah. Tammy Terrell and, and there's there's and, a place and, and time for that music. And but. I I said to him I said uh, yeah, do, you, do you think they might like something a bit newer? And he looked at me and said What do you know about it? And I thought <laughs> Okay, I'll be quiet now. Yeah, didn't like to point out. Anything. Yeah, so anyway, just give the bride and groom thirty five pictures of the DJ by himself on the front. Of the well, room. I think I did probably. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, your question. Uh, okay, so I have a question here from uh, Daniel. Hoovelman. <laughs> no? Do you make these no names up? <laughs> no, and there's an, there's, an, there's an umlaut above the O, which ah, right. pronounce it a, ooh. Ooh, ooh, isn't it? Yeah. Daniel yeah. Hoovelman. Oh, you're right then. Yeah. Hoovelman. Well done. Hey, I want to start by telling you how much you are, I like your podcast, etc., etc., etc. My question is around starting a wedding photo business. I work full time in retail at the moment, but okay. my dream would be to work as a photographer. I'm wondering how I can get to photograph weddings for free. I think what he means by that is, is no charge. going out marketing and Correct. Know, get them for free so we can get some, uh, how should some I business in. Yeah? yeah. Where might you find couples who right. would like a free photographer? Right. Everywhere. <laughs> I really <laughs> I really appreciate your take on this. Uh, keep up your great work. I hope to hear from you soon. P.S. If you're wondering, I'm from Basel in Switzerland. And that's Daniel Hoovelman. Right. Um, I'm going to send Daniel, even though it's uh, perhaps... You might not get a free wedding out of it. You will get a free strap out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. So I will send you my strap, Daniel. Um, well done. Just for being new. Now, in the, in the past, you have um, got quite irate about um, th this question about giving stuff away for free. And it, it, it's, it, it's, you know, well, that's where we started seeing a real drain on the business. You know, everybody giving stuff away for nothing. Yeah, I mean, but saying that, you know, my first wedding was free. And I think I've mentioned that before. Yeah. Um, but it was for a friend. It wasn't... I didn't advertise for free. It wasn't a case of, you know, I'm looking for it to build my business and some strangers. I've always said this. If you are going to do a wedding for free to get yourself on the on the ladder, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Or even if it's really cheap. But make sure it's somebody in your community. Make sure it's somebody you know or it's a friend of a friend. Don't just go to Gumtree or something like that because you're going to get the bottom feeders that are just going to be, uh, you know, they're not going to be happy. Free free for a lot of people means really, really good, but free. 
these are the people these are the people who will uh, drink their Costa coffee get to the bottom and then take it back and say it was cold <laughs> uh, they exist uh, you know we all know people like that and I'm, I'm trying not to generalize but yeah. and and of course people uh, you know uh, it sounds really really snobbish but the, there are generally people out there who simply cannot afford wedding photographers and would would absolutely adore somebody to do it for free and 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 that's good and you will get experience out of that but this is what i'm saying make sure it's people you know or people who are certainly you're connected to in some way because you are you will you will open up a too much of a of a kettle and that's the answer just say to your friends say to your your community look you know what i'm I'm looking to to get into this business anybody know anybody getting married and depends on your age and stuff um daniel it might be your friends getting married might be your kids friends getting married if you're from Merthyr Tidville, it might be your parents' friends getting married. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, whatever. That's that's you're the route so to rude it. About Merthyr. <laughs> no, I know. Um, I love the place really. I, I, um, no, you don't. Don't lie. <laughs> Please be honest. I, um, yeah, that's that's my advice. You know, just kind of go through your connections and, yeah. and do it that way. Really, 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 really don't advertise for free. How long should you work for free? So he's trying to ch- change careers, trying to change direction. So clearly he can't do it forever. But how many gigs? Uh, one. What, really? Just the one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because when do you stop? How do you know? Where's the where's the wall? Yeah. You know, what what's what's to say five is my target? I tell you what, if you do five weddings for free, you'll never do a sixth wedding. You'll be so fed up yeah. and with no reward. Uh, and not because weddings are f- things that make you fed up, but they're hard work, bloody hard work. And you will... You'll have done the editing. You'll have done everything else. You'll have you'd have done blog posts. You'll have done everything. And for five weddings for no reward, you won't do a sixth. Targeted Facebook advertising could be here, uh, good here. And I was talking to yeah. uh, to to Steve about this, um, uh, our moderator. Yeah. Um, and um, Steve Vaughan. And and you know, tar- Target maybe um, may, maybe have some sort of um, campaign where you say, look, I'm I'm just starting in uh, in wedding photography. And uh, I'm going to offer myself for free to uh, one bride and groom, and um, and you'll get a lot of interest on that campaign. No, I would, but they're strangers. They're going to be strangers. Really? Yeah. But it, it, you don't necessarily know somebody's getting married. And if you want to start right now, you can't think, well, I can't wait until one of my mates gets you're going to end up friends of friends you, there's always somebody really yeah I would never ever do that on Facebook ever yeah. I mean I, 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 it Facebook, worked very well for, for a lot of people that campaign free yeah but you're only offering one free and then you might get 150 off that and off that 150 you've, you've possibly got you start to go down and down and down uh, and okay so this 80, is 80, 70, 60 left that they might buy something for less money no 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 and then you're on the money track so this is slightly different this is portraits or family shoots or yeah. something. This you can isn't do the same for, with weddings. No, well, how are you going to do that? Because what you know, you say, right, I'm going to offer one for free, yep. and then you get 300 inquiries, yep. and then what do you do? Do you say to them all, okay, uh, right, I'm going to say do, I've given that one free, but uh, I'm, I'm, I can offer these ones okay, for less money. I'm 100 quid, yeah. or I'm 200 quid, yeah, and then you whatever. get you get 200 people say, okay, great, and some people drop out. Yeah, but then you're you're committed to doing these weddings at 200 pounds or whatever. I, I honestly no. don't think that's a wise thing. Okay. N- uh, my personal opinion is, and, and uh, you know, just because my opinion is this doesn't mean that yours should be, but my personal opinion is never do anything free for people you do not know or you do not have a, some kind of connection with. Okay. Um, that's my my take on it. Marlins has spoken. <laughs> Alan Keller. Howdy, y'all. Sorry for the cheesy greeting, but I am from San Antonio, Texas, so I'm allowed to. I wanted to start by congratulating you on the podcast. I'm going to go blah, 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 um, because that's what Kevin would do at this stage. I'm not a professional photographer. I'm strictly an amateur, hobbyist, enthusiast, or whatever you want to call it. Photography to me is more of a, a release where I can take some time when the toddler newborn wife allow it to exercise some creativity and try to collect some memories and experiences. Nice reason to do it. As I look back at the images, it's pretty clear to me that I haven't found my style or a coherent and consistent structure for how my images turn out. So I'm curious as to how long it took each of you to find your photographic look and how often to try and tweak things and change your image making or your editing processing. And do you ever have the urge to go just crazy, often, um, and Mm -hmm. shoot something wholly inconsistent with the look of your portfolio images? Just curious as to how you found the look and how often that look can change. Thank you for the time and uh, so on. Alan Keller. Yeah. Do you ever change it up a bit do something completely different not much um i i would i would hazard a guess that if if the internet didn't exist 
right or if you never if you never looked at other people's works your pictures would remain static in terms of the aesthetic yeah it's usually the influence of others that that you know that you think oh i love the way he's done that how's he done that and then well you, you're you, influenced by um garvan you like like his oh, and, I love and, and there, there's love been a couple stuff. of occasions where you've tried to sort of emulate that look yeah. by, by using studio lighting yeah, I know absolutely. Yeah, totally, hundred percent agree. Um, I think from the wedding stuff, it's pretty. The the shooting style has always been the same. Um, the editing has changed subtly, but generally the same. Um, but it is very easy to look at other people's works and think, "Oh, I wonder what preset they bought," and yeah. and you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but much like everything, if you're happy with what you've got, if you're happy with what you're producing, keep it. Would you ever produce a set of? Um, uh, post-processing LUTs and things like that. It's such a kettle of fish, isn't it? Is that the right term? Kettle of fish? Fish fish in a kettle. Kettle of... Um, kettle of zebras. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Move on. I don't know. Gemma <laughs> uh, will be laughing her head off now because I always get things like that wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Mm, I... <sighs> I don't know. So, right, okay. <laughs> Glad we cleared that up. <laughs> There's you, a lot Alan. of hard work and, and stuff. Oh, he says, P.S., this is... Oh, you can have a strap, by the way, Alan. Uh, th- this is no way a plug by my Instagram. He says, it's Wanderlustal 1K. Oh, mm. if you want to see what, it, what, what I mean by a lack of coherence in my images. The colour, clarity, sharpness are all over the place. I used to go way overboard with post-processing. I think, do you know, a lot of people do, don't they? Um, you know, it's, it's a, oh, I did, yeah. But, but that's how you learn, isn't it? You just bring yourself around and, and, you, and you move on and you develop, so, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. So thank you, Alan. I'm going to put you in the strap file just over there. I think we've got time for one more question. Okay, this is, uh, this is more of a tip rather than anything else from Gareth Callan. Mm-hmm. And it says, gentlemen... I love my Fujis for a whole number of reasons, but when you are six foot four... Very similar to Kev. That's... uh, (laughs) There's like two of me stood on top of each other. Uh, When you're a six foot four behemoth... I love that word, behemoth. The grips on the camera are pathetic in big hands. I find the Sony uh, 6000 series far better in this regard. Mm. Uh, A lot of people say that about the, you know, if you've got bigger hands. Simple solution, buy a screw-on grip for the X-T2 or X-70. No, the X-70 in your hands, I would imagine, would look like a crisp. Um, you get a, you get a bonus of an Arca Swiss plate there too. They sit and hang far easier in big hands. Right. Other alternative is the Lensmate thumb grip, which is great, but I use the back button focus, so it doesn't work for me. Gareth. Well, there you go. So Gareth, the giant from wherever he lives. Gareth Giant. Um, <laughs> Green Giant. Has, oh, God, uh, what was that? Uh, that was that was Peas, wasn't it? Yeah, Jolly Green Giant. Jolly Green Giant. He was the fam- same fellow that was uh, Darth Vader, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah. No. Yeah. All right, he's so. no longer with us. It's uh, Keith Prowse, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that Keith was him. Keith Prowse, yeah. Yeah, well done. Uh, that, so that's a tip rather than anything else. If you've got massive hands, use a um, a grip. Oh, actually, uh, Gareth, if I want you to send us a picture of your six foot five the Homoth hands <laughs> with an X seventy in it, yeah, <laughs> that'd <okay>. be fun. <laughs> thank you for your question, and thank you for all your questions this week. The lifeblood of the show, of course. Uh, thank you to Simpler Straps uh, for for giving us a chance to give away a couple of straps, which we always seem to do towards the end of the show. Um, but uh, S-I-M-P-L-R dot U-S is the address to go to if you'd like to see uh, more of the, the straps and how they, they can attach to your camera send your questions in to click at fujicast.co.uk thank you to our guest Chris Wardell today music from Blue Wednesday with additional music from Artlist um, your credit this week um, is going to come from Murray McMillan Kevin's Instagram is Kevin Mullins Photography see his films on YouTube at Documentary Eye his website is Kevin Mullins photography.co.uk or for street workshops training and everything Fujifilm go to f16.click I'm Murray McMillan my Instagram is Murray underscore McMillan and my website is murraymcmillanphotography.com Cheers It's been quite funny over the last couple of weeks we, we've received a couple where they've said well I, I didn't want to do it but I got my dad to do it this is Eva Neil's Instagram is Neil James see his films on YouTube at Neil James Photo his website is neiljames.com I'm Eva and my dad's Instagram is kr Ingersoll and his website is portrait.is so that was his son did it sorry it yeah, was the other way around that's a very nice sounding voice nice yeah that was that like Norwegian or something I think or so, yeah. Swedish good voice over voice yeah, yeah very good we have to get you to do more I think um, thank you very much and we will see you next week on the show thank you bye bye the Fujicast is an independent loading zone production email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way